Hey, thanks so much, Brother Peter. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, if you can just give me a thumbs up that you can hear me, that'd be helpful. Great, thank you very much. I'll just share my slide deck with you. So our theme for this afternoon, woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. And that, of course, comes from Daniel chapter 12, uh, a chapter that speaks very clearly of the resurrection. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that's full of hope. It's one of my most enduring memories of my grandmother, Grace Tompkins, who was in Cardiff Ecclesia. She used to always say uh, about the, 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 the day of the Lord and, and uh, woe unto you uh, that, that desire it. And the time of there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. Now, she wasn't being morbid, but she understood that this time of trouble would herald the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to focus on before we get into some of the, um, the, the signs of the times. We want to do a little bit of uh, focus on an exhortational point that comes out of the reading that we had in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, of course, talks of that, that time of trouble. It talks about, in verse 3, that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh. And we, of course, uh, with many other Bible students over the centuries, have linked that with Ezekiel 38. That passage in Ezekiel 38, which is on our screen, which talks about Israel dwelling safely and at rest without walls or bars or gates. That's the same language of peace and safety. But then comes sudden destruction. Now, God willing, in a moment, we'll talk about how the peace and safety cry is sounding louder now than it has done since the re-establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. But before we get to that, just to draw attention that 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 is absolutely jam-packed, full of quotes from prophecies throughout Scripture. So we know that 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the Lord descending from heaven with the shout and the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's from Matthew 24, the trump of God, the Olivet prophecy. When it talks about uh, the, uh, those that are alive and remain courting up together in clouds. Well, that's from Daniel chapter 7, where the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ coming in clouds of heaven. The reference in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 of the times and seasons, brethren, you don't need to write them to you. Why? Because you've got all the other prophecies, which surely you've read. Daniel chapter 2 talks of the times and seasons. And that's, of course, the image that Nebuchadnezzar was given of all of the nations throughout history. The idea of the Lord Jesus Christ coming as a thief in the night, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2, is found in a number of places, isn't it? Olivet Prophecy again in Revelation 16. The day of the Lord, that's found in many, many prophecies. And then the, the, the subject which we want to look at, uh, the peace and safety cry, again, it's found in Ezekiel 38, among other places. So, some of those up on the slide are in your margins. Others, uh, you, you can add to them. But I want to focus on Amos, because Amos isn't in your margin unless you've got one that I've never seen before. But you see, the prophecy of Amos is also quoted in 1 Thessalonians 5. And I've just put it up on the slide for you. And what a powerful exhortation this is for us, brothers and sisters. What we've got in Amos chapter 5 is a message to Israel that says, woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. You know that day of the Lord that's spoken of there in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, that the day of the Lord cometh, uh, that they're looking forward to. Well, woe unto you, Israel, 
that day is not going to be light, it's going to be darkness. Now, what does 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, talk about light and darkness? It says 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4, Brethren, you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So you can see the contrast is there. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, look, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and it's going to be like a thief in the night. But it won't overtake you in darkness and as a thief because you'll be watching, won't you? Because you've got all of these references referred to in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, throughout the whole of the prophetic scriptures that tell you to be ready and when the Lord's going to come. But the Israelites were told, the prophet Amos was from Judah, of course, and he was exhorting those in, in the north. You've got to be so careful. You're desiring the day of the Lord, but it's going to be darkness and not light for you. Dark and there'll be no brightness in it. Look what he goes on to say in Amos chapter five. He says, um, uh, it's going to be so dark and not light. And it says, as if a man did flee from a lion, says Amos 5 verse 19, and a bear met him. You want, you want the day of the Lord to come? Well, you'll be running away from a lion. You'll meet a bear. Verse 20, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? And why was it that Israel were told that the day of the Lord, which should be such a wonderful event, this was their redemption in their time, should be darkness and not light? We're told exactly why because of their behavior. Amos chapter five, verse 21, this is what God says to them. I hate, I despise your feasts. I will not smell your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings, your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. I will not hear the melody of thy vials. You see, their worship was all about them. They were people who were worshipping, they were praying, but their worship was not godly worship. It was the worship that Jesus spoke about, the Pharisees. It was all the outward show. They sang and they prayed and they had feast days and they made offerings to God. But God says, I'm not going to accept any of them. In fact, more than that, he says, I hate them. And he goes on to describe their behavior uh, a little bit down in Amos chapter six. He says, I know what you're doing. You're lying upon beds of ivory. You're stretching yourselves out on couches. You eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall that chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. Oh, yes, they had music. They had songs and praises, but it wasn't David's songs, not the pattern that God gave to David and Solomon, but their own. And they drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with cheap ointments. They were full of the things of the world. You see how that's contrasted in 1 Thessalonians 5? It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 um, to be, verse uh, 6, not to sleep as others do, let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. So let us, who are of the day, be sober. You see the contrast? Israel was spiritually drunk with the world. It wasn't enough for them to drink out of a cup. They were drinking out of bowls. And they were reclining on their beds of ivory, says Amos 6 verse 4. That's what they were doing at night, living in luxury. And you'll know that the prophecy of Amos talks a lot about the rich and the poor. And God's saying, you've got no idea about how your brothers and sisters are being afflicted. Amos 6 verse 6, while you're drinking wine, you know, bowls full of wine, you're, you're not grieved for the affliction of Joseph for your brethren. Instead, you're just absolutely full of the, of the worldly things. And more than that, look at Amos chapter 6, verse 1 says, Woe unto them that are at ease, 
in Zion. That's the word secure. Here's the point, brothers and sisters, which of course we can't miss. That at the time of Amos, God was saying through Amos, you're looking for my redemption and you think you're wonderful and you think you'll secure it and you think you're doing all the right things and you think you're at ease and you're at peace, but you're not. Because when the judgment of the Lord comes, it's going to come to you. And a generation later, 40 years or so after this prophecy was given, Israel were taken away into captivity in Assyria, never to return. You're going to go captive with the first that go captive. That's what we've got up on our screen. That's what God says to them. So, brothers and sisters, that is contrasted with the exhortation to us in Thessalonians. Say, don't be like Israel of ancient times. Walk in the light, not in darkness. Don't be drunken with the things of the world. Pay attention to how you look after your brothers and sisters. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. He wants us to be in his kingdom. But we've got to be so careful about an idea of self-righteousness that we might have. And that pharisaical thinking that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to us of. Knowledge of fulfilled prophecy is a wonderful thing, but it is not enough. If we know that God is moving the nations around us, how are we going to live differently is the point that Amos and Thessalonians is, is talking about us. You know, we've, we've had almost had 20 years worth of prophecy days in Kent. Uncle Don will be able to tell us how many more we've had in rugby and around the country. And that is an absolutely wonderful thing. And I'm not decrying that for a second. But to hear the word and know that God is guiding the nations and the Lord is at hand is not enough. We have to then move on and say, what am I going to do? The Lord Jesus Christ talks about giving a cup of cold water to those uh, who are his disciples. Do we do those kinds of things? Do we know what's going on in our ecclesias? Are we helping our brothers and sisters? Not just to be hearers of the word or speakers of the word, but doers of it. Because very sadly, the message of Amos fell on deaf ears to many in Israel. So with that exhortation in our mind that is so powerful from Thessalonians and from Amos, let us be children of the light. Let us remind ourselves of just how amazing prophetic fulfillment is in our time. Remind ourselves of the knowledge that God's hand is truly working upon the nations to bring about the return of his son. And then ask ourselves, well, what can we do? Who needs help in my ecclesia right now that I might live the word of God? Right. Now, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, just to remind ourselves of the language that comes out there. Peace and safety, when that cry goes out, then cometh sudden destruction. And I just want to draw attention to what those Greek words really mean. So the idea of peace is not just the absence of war. That's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking much more about the peace of the mind. Jesus used that word, peace I live with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, neither let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. So it's the whole idea of peace of our mind, total and utter peace in ourselves, comfortable living. The Ecclesias had rest throughout all Judea. That's how Acts chapter 9 uses that word. So we're not talking about an Israel that is just not at war, but so peaceful that even their minds are at peace. Who wouldn't desire a mind like that? Well, that's what's going to happen to Israel, and we're seeing that develop now. That idea of safety is more than just uh, not being in war. Again, it's the idea of certainty. Just look how it's used in Luke chapter one. Uh, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things when you've been instructed, the certainty of the gospel. 
Acts chapter 5 use it uh, about the prison, which was so, so shut up, it was safe. It was secure. Now, it's a closely related word is this one here. And look how it's used in Acts chapter 21 to 25. It's the idea of men and women trying to find out the facts of a matter. And here you've got the chief captain, the Chiliarch, trying to find out the certainty, that the facts of why there was this tumult in Jerusalem. In Acts 22, he says, I want to know the facts. And he writes that same word to King Agrippa uh, and, and, and to Festus to say, look, I want to know the certain thing, the facts. So what we've got in 1 Thessalonians 5 is when there is a cry of people are totally at peace in their minds, not just no war, but, you know, real, uh, incredible, deep-seated peace and certainty, certain that there won't be any conflict, absolute certainty that there is this peace. That's when comes certain, certain destruction. And that's the same language that's used in Ezekiel. You know, when we looked at that on our slide, the language of those that are at rest and those that dwell safely. Just look at the Hebrew words that mirror those Greek words and you get the same idea. So the, the idea of, of those at rest, this Hebrew word, look how it's used in, 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 in Jeremiah. It's there's God shall, Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet and none shall make him afraid. It's not just no war. No one's going to make him afraid. That's the language. And in Judges, there'll be quietness 40 years. This is deep-seated rest and peace. Safety. Look how this word safety is used in the Old Testament. In the book of Judges, it's described when Gideon went up to take a host, he smote the host, for the host was secure. This host, which Gideon just defeated, was so secure, they were uh, careless. That's what happens in Judges 18. They dwelt carelessly. They were so certain that of, of their, of their, um, their own military ability, they were careless. And that's the point uh, that's being brought out here in the scriptures. And I've left some other references up there for you. So what we've got when we look at those words is a very clear correlation between the peace and safety of 1 Thessalonians 5 and the rest and safety of Ezekiel 38. Peace of the mind and certainty that there won't be any more and there won't be destruction and that no one's going to make you afraid. How could there be possible that is the Israel that we know of could ever be brought to such a state of mind and to such a state of certainty. Now, I'm going to just plug uh, an exhibition that's currently on in the British Library. It's been extended a couple of times, I think, and hopefully they'll extend it some more. So maybe after lockdown, you might want to go. It's well worth a visit. But the point is, it draws attention to the Jewish people. It's not just uh, Bible students that know the history of the Jews to be anything but peace. Everybody knows it. This is how the exhibition is introduced. There is an online way of looking at the exhibition, but it's actually really quite difficult to navigate, but you can try it. But it talks about the whole Jewish nation, which was expelled in AD 70, prophesied, of course, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they lived in dispersed communities, but they maintained a strong sense of their cultural and religious identity and, and their Hebrew language. But just I wanted to show you a few things that's highlighted there. They show us Bibles in this exhibition, which have images of the temple that was destroyed in AD 70. And look what it says in your slide there. It says, they act as a reference point for the future temple. 
which most Jews will miss most Jews will be believe will be rebuilt when the Messiah comes. Throughout the centuries, most Jews have said we've drawn the temple because we hope we'll get back there, and that will happen. We know a temple will be built when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And while the Jews throughout all the centuries have been looking for that, there's been terrible persecution. You can see documents there how that the Jews were questioned by the Inquisition for their their beliefs and for their documents, and then. After this one in 1568, the Jews were expelled from Bologna by the, the Inquisition. They didn't find any peace either, of course, in Arab lands. Here's a, a document you can see about how the Arab leader in 1589, uh, they also were, were persecuting uh, the Jews. And here's a quote that comes up and you can see it for yourself. Uh, that This leader, Yahya ibn Yahya, says to the Jews, do not remember the name of Israel anymore. That has been the experience of this terrible persecuted community in Christian lands, in Muslim lands. Get out or you can leave your religion behind. Yet God says he'll return his people. And chapters like Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 38, where the Jews are back in their land, have left Bible believers in no doubt whatsoever that this people whose nation has seen anything but peace over the centuries will return. And the point of me just showing you those slides from that exhibition in the British Library is that this is the deep-seated knowledge in the peoples of the world. Everybody knows what happened in 8070 and the Jewish people. And in the public libraries of the world, it's declared. And you can see all the documents. This is the great witness. God says, you are my witnesses. And truly they are. Wherever you go, those who are willing to read and know history will learn of the Jewish history. And God has brought them back. Over 9 million people now in Israel. Of course, a number of them, about a million or so, are, are uh, Israeli Arabs as well. Well, this massive nation has been brought back. Could it be called a, a land of peace? Peace and safety, peace of their mind and certainty that they won't be attacked. Only in recent years, that couldn't have been imagined. Let me show you a quote from Yonatan Netanyahu, who is the he was the brother of Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister of Israel, a famous war hero of Israel. He died at the age of 30 in 1976. But when he was 27 years old, just after the Yom Kippur War, look at his letter that he wrote to his brother. This was the mindset of Israel only a short few decades ago. He says, we're preparing for war and it's hard to know what to expect. What I'm positive of is that there will be a next round and others after that. But I would rather opt for living here in continual battle than for becoming part of the wandering Jewish people. Any compromise will simply hasten the end. And as I don't intend to tell my grandchildren about the Jewish state in the 20th century as a mere brief and transient episode in thousands of years of wandering, I intend to hold on here with all my might. Now, that's a man, a young man, who has no concept that Israel will be at peace. He's telling his brother, we just fought a war and we're going to fight another one and another one. And I'm ready for perpetual battle to try and make sure that our little Jewish state is not expunged from history. And we go back to wandering like we've done for 2000 years. And that's only right in, in 1973. How times have changed. And many of you, if you don't mind me saying will have lived through that in time, time period. This was written a bit more before I was born. But you'll have seen this whole thing. And now we end up in a situation 
whereby last year the Abraham Accords were signed. And this is, I've quoted this directly from the US State Department website. The Abraham Accords, bringing peace between the Jews and the Arabs. Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates signed that document. And also Sudan and Morocco have got documents uh, that link themselves to this peace accord. Now, up until this point in my lifetime, I'd only seen one Arab nation make peace with Israel. That was Jordan in 1994. Before that, you had uh, Egypt in 1979. We've seen more nations make peace with Israel last year than we've seen since Israel was reestablished in 1948. When they shall cry, peace and safety, well, this is surely the cry. And look at the cry that is there on the left. This is what they say. We pursue a vision of peace, security and prosperity in the Middle East and around the world. And it says, in this spirit, we warmly welcome and are encouraged to, by the progress already made in establishing diplomatic relations between Israel and its neighbours in the region under the principle of the Abraham Accords. We're encouraged by the ongoing efforts to consolidate and expand such friendly relations. This is absolutely unprecedented, yet Bible students knew it would happen. You can read bishops of the established churches of the world talking hundreds of years ago how there would be peace with Israel when they said brought back. And yet, who in the established churches talks about Bible prophecy in that regard now? But we must do so because we can draw attention to the passages of scripture which bring this about. Isn't that absolutely remarkable? There are people now who are saying, Arab ties with Israel have become the new normal. That would be an absurd thing to do when Yonatan Netanyahu was writing in 1973. But now it's the new normal. And Bible students have recognized that because, of course, in the nations in Ezekiel 38, that fight against Israel, not one of them is an Arab or a Semitic nation. There are Arab Semitic nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38, but they are on the, the side which is not fighting Israel. Uh, so that's why Bible students have said, well, the Arabs will have to come to peace with Israel. And that's what's happening in our time. And it's not stopping there. There are those who are saying next will be the Saudi Arabian peace deal. And that is the big one. They are the leader, really, of the Arab world. They, they host the first and second most holy sites for Muslims. This in February this year, where an article in The Spectator said, could an Israeli-Saudi peace deal be imminent? And uh, not to go through all of the detail, it talks about all that's needed for, is for Saudi Arabia to sign on the dotted line. It could be the next one to sign. And, and it talks about how that the Saudi Arabians might require a lot uh, back in return, perhaps from the U.S. president, President Biden. But who knows that this massive behemoth that is Saudi Arabia with all its power and economic might if that signs, who they could open up the floodgates for many other countries also signing. This year in 2021, let's have a look and see if that happens. If, if the Saudi Arabians take that step, because if that happens, truly the cry of peace and safety is around everywhere. But there are those who are still not happy with it. In The Guardian, this article was written about the Palestinians feeling they're betrayed. They're saying, well, that's great, our Arab friends making peace with Israel, but we're still in an extremely difficult situation. Have we been betrayed? Have we been forgotten? Now, some of you will, will be aware that the Saudi Arabians had a plan to bring peace between Israel. It was 
suggested um, a, a year or two ago, and it's gone quiet. But this is what it was. It was published in a number of uh, magazines and newspapers about the Saudi Arabians suggesting to the Palestinians, look, you can't have Jerusalem because that's got to be Jewish under the deal, but we'll give you Abu Dis, which is just north of Jerusalem, and maybe that could be your capital. Uh, this was suggested by Mohammed bin Salman and reported in the New York Times. Now, whether, whether this is still their, uh, their plan, we don't know, but this was the suggestion. Uh, suggestion that Mohammed bin Salman wanted to, to force a settlement on the Palestinians and cement this peace with Israel and sweeten the deal, says the article, with a vast amount of financial aid from Riyadh. Now, let's just see what happens this year. If the Saudi Arabians feel that they need Israel's military might to combat their foes in Iran, uh, then it is possible they might say to the Palestinians, OK, we will lead this discussion of peace with you. We won't leave you behind. And there's a lot of money in it for you. Who knows what we'll see? But this was their suggestion that there would be uh, a, 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 the, the Jewish control over Jerusalem. But then there would be Abu Dis, which would be near Jerusalem, um, uh, where the Palestinians could have their uh, capital. And there would be free access to all for the holy sites in Jerusalem. Who knows what will happen? But that was uh, discussed and there are those now writing, this is in, in the foreign policy publication in, in February this year, who say, look, there is now hope for Israeli-Palestinian peace. Why? Because Mr. Trump has, uh, is no longer around. Because President Biden has now uh, secured the presidency, he's seen as somebody who can mediate much more closely uh, between Israel and the Palestinians, because he's not seen as somebody who's just wholly for Israel. And there's some who are suggesting, look, already that m money is being given towards the peace process. And that's a great uh, positive sign. Um, the new administration has already said, look, we're going to try and work with the Palestinian Authority. We're going to open up our consulate in Jerusalem again, which President Trump closed. And the Palestinians, it's being reported, seem to think that there may be a door opening where America will say, right, we're, we're now going to try and work really on peace. And at the same time, Russia is pushing itself, as some are saying in the Arab news, as the Middle East peace broker. So not only does President Biden bode well for peace, some are saying, others are saying, well, look, actually, the Palestinians have a, a respect for Russia and their role as a peace broker. Uh, in, in this article, which was January this year, Palestinians uh, are now, it reports that Palestinians are receiving the Russian coronavirus vaccine. And that's been very welcomed, of course, by the Palestinian nation. And they're also talking about how that the, the Palestinians are extremely welcoming of the Russians being a peace broker. And there's discussion of a Israel peace, Israel-Palestine peace conference in just a few months time. And wouldn't that be something to see this year? Who knows what Saudi Arabia might do, but maybe they might sign a peace deal and then a, a Russian brokered peace conference between Israel and Palestine. That's what the, the, some people are discussing. Now, isn't that remarkable if that was to come about? But in the meantime, Israel is still announcing new settler homes in the West Bank. And that is, is too much Palestinian ire. This is in January. Uh, they're, 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 they're pushing to do this quickly. And that was before President Biden had taken his post. But I want to just focus for a moment 
some of the historical references in prophetic writings in the scriptures about the Palestinians. Because we all know, of course, that the, the Palestinian name is linked to the Philistine name. Because what happened in, in the Bar Kokhba revolt in the second century, where the Jews revolted, Emperor Hadrian said, right, not only am I going to expel the Jews, but I'm going to make them very cross by changing the name of their land from Judea to Syria, Palestina, in names of their biblical enemies, the Philistines. So we all know that the, it's, it's well documented, anywhere you'd care to look, that the name Palestine, Palestinian, comes from the Roman term for Philistines and that it, it directly links back to uh, the term Philistines that we find in scripture. Now, what do the scriptures say about the Philistines in prophetic terms? I'm just going to move on from there. It tells us in, in Joel chapter 3, it tells us that when I bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, there will be those who are in the coasts of Palestine. And, and those in the coasts of Palestine, therefore, you'd say, so, well, that, that might fit with Gaza because they're on the coasts, uh, coastlands of Israel. That's what Joel chapter 3 says at the time of the end. You'd expect there to be an entity, a people dwelling in the coasts of Palestine. Isaiah 11 talks about when, when the, uh, the outcasts of Israel are gathered together, they will fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west and toward the east. Now, you'll, you'll know that many have remarked about the, the, the question of, is this referring to where the Palestinians currently are located, the west and the east? There we have on our chart, we all know that the Palestinians have land on the coast in Gaza in the west, and they also have the West Bank in the east. Is that what Isaiah 11 is talking about in the latter days? With reference to West and the East Palestinian territory. Obadiah talks about they of the, the plain of the Philistines that will certainly be there when Mount Zion shall see deliverance. There's loads of passages that speak about this. Zephaniah talks about the day of the Lord mentioned in Zechariah. Gaza's mentioned, and specifically it talks. Uh, sorry, this is this is. Uh, and I've lost my notes here. Moved. I can't see because my I've got all of your video screens halfway across my uh, my screen and I can't I can't seem to move you. Right. Uh, this is this is from Zephaniah. It says about Gaza being forsaken, and then look what it says here. Woe unto the inhabitants of the sea coast. Well, that's that would be Gaza, wouldn't it? And that's what we see today: Palestinians in Gaza, the nation of the Kerithites, the land of the Philistines. So the point that I think we should often uh, think about is that it's not just Bible prophecy that the Jews have returned back to their land in amazing fulfillment, of course, but also that they're not alone. The Bible prophesied in many passages that there will be an entity called the Philistines who dwell in the place called Gaza. That's also fulfillment of Bible prophecy, that there are Philistines, Palestinians in the land of Gaza, some on the west and some on the east. Now, just think for a second about these Kerithites. Ezekiel 25 talks about the Philistines being cut off, the Kerithims, and that those that on the, the seacoast will be destroyed. The Kerithims, the Philistines, and the seacoast. You see that's all linked together? So I'm making a suggestion to you, for, perhaps for discussion, that maybe that's what's being discussed here. 
that all these references in Obadiah, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, Joel are all talking about, clearly, uh, the Gaza uh, home of the Philistines stroke Palestinians on the coast. Now, we're not taking political sides here, of course, uh, but we're trying to make a point, if we can just move on. 1, Chron 1 Chronicles 18 tells us that when David became king, he smote the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and her towns. But do you know who was in his army? Philistines. Verse 17, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, were those over the Kerethites. The Kerethites are Philistines. Just go back. Ezekiel 25, I'll cut off the Kerethims. Uh, Zephaniah, woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Kerethites, the land of the Philistines. So what we've got at the time of David, when David was fighting the Philistines, there were Philistines who were on his side in the battle. When David ran from Absalom, it tells us they're the Kerethites again, and all the Gittites, 600 men, which came after him from Gath. David had Philistines in his army. And so it was that when Solomon was anointed king, they were established as part of his hierarchy, the Kerethites and the Pelethites. So what I'm submitting to you is that whilst there are lots of prophetic passages which speak of God's judgment upon the nations who won't accept the Lord Jesus Christ's rule and will fight against his people, there are those of the land of the Philistines who I think will be joining the greater Solomon and the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will, they will side with him. Now, in the family tree of Abraham, we know that there was, alongside the 12 sons of Jacob, you've got the 12 princes of the Arab peoples, Ishmael's descendants, the great nation. Isaiah 60 talks about those who are going to be first to come up to see the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. And verse 7 says, the flocks of Kedar and the rams of Nebaioth. Now, those are the two first, well, the first and second born sons of Ishmael, the Arab peoples. So we have most clearly got in scripture a reference to the fact that the Arab peoples will accept huge, huge numbers of them, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he returns. And there will be a conflict, it seems like the scriptures are telling us, and that the Palestinians will be involved in that. But a large number of them, I think, will be joining the Lord Jesus Christ, being part of Kedar and Nebaioth, as, as uh, the times of Solomon and David speak to us about. So when we're talking to people about this, people can think we can often, we're getting political and we're siding with uh, one uh, political entity, Israel, and against another. What we're saying is we're looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring peace and establish the kingdom of Israel forever, and he shall be the king. But there'll be many Arabs and many Palestinians, I think, clearly, who will be joining his name and linking themselves up with the salvation that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just worth, worth thinking about when we're looking at perhaps some peace that might emerge between Israel and the Palestinians. Just look at all those passages which talks about um, the Palestinians and the Philistines and how there was a large number of them aligned with David and Solomon. Well, let's change gears for a moment and move on from the, the huge cry we've got about peace and safety going on in the world right now. And just refer to what's going on in, in Israel in terms of its economy. Now, we know Ezekiel 38 
explains why it is that a northern invader wants to invade Israel, because they're rich. And I don't think there's one reason why they're rich. Ezekiel 38 tells us they've gotten cattle and goods, they've gotten a spoil, they've got silver and gold, and a great spoil. So we're not talking about an Israel that's returned there's just got one reason why an invader would come down. They've got general wealth that an invader wants to come and take away. Now, again, many of you will know how when Israel started, they couldn't be considered as a nation with things worth stealing, but now they certainly are. This is just a couple of years ago when Prime Minister Netanyahu was announcing that Israel's per capita GDP is now 24th in the world just behind the United Kingdom, uh, a little nation established in 1948, incredibly wealthy with rapid uh, growth underway. And we all know that their, their, their high-tech industry is burgeoning and massive uh, tech companies of the world, they're all doing R&D in Israel. Now we all know that to be the case. But last year, the, the OECD did a study uh, on Israel and they said, look, Israel's economy is facing a deep shock uh, and it's got, it's got some big problems that it needs to uh, rectify and it's got to sort them out, um, and it, it, but it's doing quite well in its immunization process. Now, we know that that's happened and Israel is now uh, booming. Uh, but what's interesting, last year, when the world was suffering from, from COVID difficulties, look what's happening in Israel. There was a massive growth in companies going public. That means they're, they're getting so big that they're saying, right, we're going to sell shares. And there were the number of IPOs, initial public offerings, where companies uh, just said, right, we're, we're going to go out and sell our shares, was massive during the year in 2020. Well, that's a huge thing. And people have remarked about this and said, how is it that Israel, when the whole world is down the doldrums and the Israeli economy has been suffering too, there's all these companies saying, well, it doesn't matter. We're just going to uh, ride this volatility and we're just going to still grow. And that's been a huge thing that people have remarked about with Israel, that it has this resilience. And all of these new companies are starting off and growing rapidly, such that now the forecast is that in this year, Israel's economy will be back on track. Uh, everyone's been vaccinated in Israel and uh, they reckon there'll be very strong growth, growth in 2021. And at the very same time, as you've got these companies growing and high-tech companies still um, being set up so rapidly, Israel's actually made some progress <clears throat> in the last few weeks uh, with this discussions with Cyprus about um, how they're going to develop the gas fields that they found. Now, you'll be aware that they've, they've had some disputes and some people are saying, well, they'll never be able to take that gas out because everybody says it's theirs and they won't be able to solve it. But actually... Apparently, there's a framework deal now that has been uh, brought about that, that that gas field, Aphrodite, that's up uh, in the Mediterranean near Cyprus, will be used. And on the other side of the coin, uh, there's now agreement that um, Egypt and Israel are going to be using the gas from the Leviathan field, which is further down south from Cyprus, and they'll be taking it to um, to Egypt for liquefaction to be liquefied and then sent around the world. So it's really interesting that while the rest of the world has been suffering big time from COVID, Israel has two, but it has this incredible resilience and its people have, have already set the track for, for, for growth this year. But very sadly, what's happened this year 
is again another fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And it's an example that we find in Jeremiah 16 of anti-Semitism. God saying that there'll be hunters who will hunt the Jewish people and fishers to fish them. The United Nations thought was of so importance that they, they made a statement just only a few weeks ago to say that there's a rise in anti-Semitism that's happened during the pandemic. Isn't this amazing? When all the world is struggling with, with COVID and all the effects of it, people have been blaming the Jews. And the United Nations said it's so significant, they need to tell people about it. Uh, now, uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations said, look, it's sad, but not surprising that the COVID-19 pandemic has triggered yet another eruption of this poisonous ideology, anti-Semitism. He actually says that the neo-Nazis are in a resurgence in Europe and in the United States and elsewhere. Now that's a terrifying thing. But again, that's what the Bible says. Though there'll be peace and safety, says Ezekiel in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's not real peace and safety. Though the, the Israel nation will be at peace in their minds and they'll be certain of their future and of their military might, it's only a facade because there are others who hate them and who will invade them. And it will be the Lord Jesus Christ who saves them. So on the one hand, we've got this incredible fulfillment of Bible prophecy and safety cry. But on the other hand, there's this fulfillment of anti-Semitism rising in other places. It's been reported in the Arab news in Al Jazeera, how the UN is saying, look, we've got to counter, counter the neo-Nazi threat. And there's been you may have seen some of these cartoons. Here's a Trojan horse uh, designed to show that perhaps the Jews in some way were responsible for the pandemic and that the Jews are letting themselves in through the COVID pandemic door that's been opened. What an appalling thing, but such is the nature of anti-Semitism, which has been prevalent throughout history, that even in a time when the world could possibly have come together somehow, they blame the Jew. Um, and uh, because the Jews uh, have secured such excellent deals of, of, of being treated with the vaccines earlier than others because of, of their cleverness, really, and allowing their nation to be studied to see how the vaccine's going to work, people have, uh, have pointed the finger at them that that's somehow they're to blame. It's obviously preposterous, but again, that's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I've got to mention this one again, though, because what will we see? in 2021. Ezekiel 38, as we know, says that Israel is going to be dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. Now we might say, well, there's a peace and safety cry, but Israel can't feel that safe. They can't have peace of mind yet because look at the wall or large part, it's a fence that they've built. When will we see that fall? Now, we, we might be taken away to the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ long before that wall falls, but I believe it, it's, it's got to. In order for film for Bible prophecy, this wall will fall, and not perhaps in the way people think it will. It will fall voluntarily because the Jews, the, the Israel nation, will actually say to themselves, look, we are at peace, peace in our minds. We've got certainty. None will make us afraid. And so we'll voluntarily take down that wall what a fulfillment of Bible prophecy that will be. But let's keep an eye on that and see what happens this year. Just one more thing I wanted to point attention to, and that's a focus on, on Jerusalem. 
And that is that the Bible tells us that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, Jerusalem has to be Jewish. What I mean by that is the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, we've already shown you the plan that the Saudi Arabians leaked, which is perhaps making the whole of Jerusalem Jewish, and then the Palestinian capital would be just up the road in Abu Dis. We know how that the Americans have moved their embassy to Jerusalem to say that we think that actually this is the place which is Jewish, and that caused a lot of uh, angst among many nations. But it's Zechariah that tells us in so many places, this is, if you read Zechariah chapter 12 to Zechariah 14, it constantly uses the phrase, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be inhabited again. And then, and it says about the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of the Jerusalem, the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 10, and the house of David upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, that's a really interesting point. That means that Jerusalem has to be Jewish. At the moment, it's not. About a third of the people who live in Jerusalem are still non-Jewish. Now, that's changing rapidly. For fulfillment of Bible prophecy, Jerusalem has to be completely Jewish because it's the inhabitants of, the, of Jerusalem, which are spoken of here as being under attack, that the Lord Jesus Christ saves when they recognize him uh, with the wounds and the piercings and in his hand. They recognize him who he is. Now, here's a quote from a Turkish news agency, which is talking about 2020 was a year that saw a surge in what they call the Judaization of Jerusalem. And this is a concern uh, to those writing in Turkey saying, look, everybody's eyes have been elsewhere. Look what's happening in Jerusalem. The inhabitants of Jerusalem are becoming much more Jewish because they're taking over. And it says that the coronavirus pandemic has exacerbated what's been going on um, in, in, in the territory in Jerusalem. And there's been a Judaization of Jerusalem. Well, that's what we'd expect to see, according to prophecy in Zechariah. There's a reference here to the Saudi Arabian plan, and maybe that that's uh, what people are worried about. Maybe that people are saying, well, actually, maybe the Saudi Arabians will agree with this. But look what it says at the end of this article. All Israeli practices are aimed at strengthening its claim for greater Jerusalem. Well, that is, of course, a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. What might we see this year in terms of how much of Jerusalem becomes overwhelmingly Jewish? If you haven't been there in recent years, you'll see an enormous change in Jerusalem. All of the archaeological sites, which were once in the Arab territories, uh, where you had to go and uh, you'd be paying an Arab guide to go around now, it's all been subsumed into the, the Jewish area. And there are uh, very posh kiosks where you pay for tickets and go through the um, the Hezekiah's conduit and so on. There was a time when you just turned up and you're in a car park and you pay an Arab guy to take you through. All that's changed. It's become richer and it's become Jewish. That's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. With all of those things that we have been reminded of, brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, going back to the exhortation at the beginning from Thessalonians, what will we do with it? We've seen peace developing fast, peace and safety, peace of the mind for the Jewish nation and certainty about their, their security. And how will that develop this year? We've seen the wealth of the nation growing. We've seen anti-Semitism rising, seeing Jerusalem becoming more Jewish. And then we've got to say, what are we going to know about it? Because as uh, Don, who will speak next, often says, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, 
We cannot say to him, Lord, we did not know you were coming. Because we most certainly do know the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you because you've got all the prophecies in Scripture and you know they're all coming to pass. And this generation, brothers and sisters, has seen more prophetic fulfillment than every generation before. Stands to reason because we're the latest in the line. But look what's happening in our time. The question is, what are you and I going to do about it? And just finally, this was Jesus' exhortation, the last exhortation that he gave. These were his exhortations to the Ecclesias. Every single one, except for one, of the Ecclesias that Jesus exhorted in Revelation was to tell them, I'm coming quickly. Ephesus, he says, I'm coming quickly. Repent. Pergamos, repent or else I'll come quickly. Thyatira, hold fast till I come. Sardis, hold fast and repent. I'll come as a thief. Philadelphia, behold, I come quickly. Hold fast. Laodicea, I stand at the door and knock. You see the call of the Lord Jesus Christ? You all need to be reminded I'm coming back because you could be like those living at the time of Amos. Isn't that how we live, brothers and sisters? We live at rest. If we wanted to, we could drink from bowls of wine and rest on our couches of ivory. We have such great wealth and privilege in this country. And God says, be careful that you don't need to repent and turn around and change your ways because that's what Jesus says to each and every one of those ecclesias in the book of Revelation, except one, Smyrna. The Lord Jesus Christ says to Smyrna, you don't need, at least I can't find any reference to the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I'm going to come back to Smyrna. Why? Because they were being faithful unto death. They were in great tribulation and they were dying for their faith. And that's why they didn't need the reminder which situation we do not find ourselves in, brothers and sisters. We are not dying for our faith in this country. And so that means we do need the exhortation of Jesus. See what needs to change in your life and my life and how we need to be aware of what our brothers and sisters need and not just talk about the word or speak about it and hear it, but to do it. Repent, I come quickly, says the Lord Jesus Christ. But so happily, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come with salvation in his wings for us. One Thessalonians tells us, God has not appointed us to wrath, but unto salvation. And I'll just read for you 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24 of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. 